Want to teach your kids financial literacy, but not sure where to start? Greenlight can help. With Greenlight, parents can keep an eye on kids' spending and saving, while kids and teens use a card of their own to build money confidence. As a parent, you can send instant money transfers, set up chores, automate allowance, and more. It's a convenient way to run your household, customized to your family's needs, and the easy way to raise financially smart kids. Get started with Greenlight today and get your first month free at greenlight.com slash ACAST. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. This episode is sponsored by Try Vegan, a vegan meal home delivery service that is nutritious and delicious and makes your life easier. Based out of New Jersey, they deliver throughout the Northeast. Check out more details on their website, tryveganmealprep.com. And you can get 25% off your first order with the promo code LITYOGA. So go vegan. Good movement and welcome to Redefining Yoga, a lit yoga podcast, which is designed to investigate all aspects of the modern evolution of yoga from my background as a physical therapist and lover of movement. My mission is to help everyone find freedom through smarter and safer movement patterns so together we can be uplifted, benefiting all beings. Welcome to Wednesday Q&A, where you all ask the questions and we answer. I'm joined with my fearless co-host, Kristen Williams, physical therapist, lit senior teacher, one of my best friends. Hey, guy. Hey, how are you? (laughs) (laughs) I'm great. I'm so happy to see your face. Uh, We were together last week, so it feels like we got a little bit of uh, intimacy in there, but now we have to do this by Zoom. I know. It it was great. It was so great to see you, but this is just as good. This is a very... Nice. It is. We got lucky. We did. And we, by the way, everybody, we love doing this. So this is so, this is as fun for us as I hope it is as helpful for you all. So I'll launch right in. Josie, my daily alchemy, asks, what are your thoughts about sleeping without a pillow? It seems to make sense as it flattens the curve on the neck when sleeping on the back, but I'm sure it's not a simple solution for all people. I recently heard a holistic dentist posted that sleeping without a pillow can ease neck and shoulder pain for some people. Curiously enough, when I heard that, I'm reminded of my mom. I remember she only uses a folded towel like a very flat pillow to sleep. Though I never asked her about it, I suspected that she felt better without a pillow. She's a back sleeper like me. What are your thoughts? Well, you know, that's an interesting observation that she has. Uh, You know, when we think about, because we always talk about triple S, and you want that skull to line up with the scapula, but that is in a standing position. So perhaps in supine lying flat, that or a real small thin pillow would be ideal because we spend so much time in that forward head posture. Anything we can do to mitigate that, especially when we're in bed for X number of hours. However, many people don't sleep on their back. Most people, I would argue, are side sleepers. And in that position, you know, we do need that, that bit of height to keep the head from dropping towards the ear and getting that lateral flexion. And pillows are one of those things that it is, there is no one pillow that I can recommend. It is so different for everybody. We, I certainly have favorites for certain things, but 
it's so individual. And so what I tell all of my patients, because I get that question all the time about pillows, about beds, is you got to go try them out. So I recommend go to your local mattress store. They always have pillows there and they have the good quality. If you have neck pain, you really should invest in a quality pillow. You're at, by the time you're developing neck pain, you're kind of past the, a lot of times where just the old target brand, whatever pillow is going to be your friend for a long period of time, you know, invest money in a pillow because the better made ones tend to last longer. Um, And you really have to find what works for you, what keeps your neck in the most neutral position. And that goes for your shoulders too, because if you're crunching over with the head towards the shoulder, it's going to cause issues there. So it's, it's very individualized. How about you? I totally agree with you. I mean, I think in theory, this this sounds like, oh, okay, that, you know, because pillows can sometimes prop you up or flex you or, or like you said, you know, some kind of torque. But the reality is when you're sleeping, all bets are off. We don't know what's going to happen. And even in bed, I think you need a little bit of elevation because most, you know, in on a mattress, even on the floor, some people find, find it difficult just to have nothing under their head on the floor. So I would say, you know, if you're in Shavasana and you feel like, you're not that comfortable there um, without putting something under your knees or something under your skull, then this would definitely not be the solution for you. For people that um, might have neck issues, I mean, I agree with you. You've got to really work on finding the right pillow. I think the moldable pillows, uh, the ones that are dense enough to give give your skull some support, but that can mold a little bit around your skull are probably the best bet. But I'm like you, I think, you know, Spry Therapeutics, which is one of our sponsors. And the reason I believe in them is that I've tried them out. And to this day, I think I've been using them for four or five years. And I I interchange them. I don't always use them for overnight sleep, but if I'm doing reading in bed, if I'm, sometimes I'll start off and I have a very, very flat pillow and I'll put the Spry pillow under it. So it gives it a little bit more just substance to it. So again, you have to kind of almost reverse engineer it and figure out what works best for you. But you do want as best as possible to not have your neck in kind of awkward positions all night long. And if you don't have any support under your your skull, the tendency is really to, you're going to get into the same head position we're in all day, which is hyperextension in your upper cervical spine, maybe a little flexion in your lower cervical spine. Because you're, you know, your head, most people are not dropping their head down when they're sleeping. Their head is going to kind of like grab it, you know, gravitationally, they'll lift the chin up and, and that could, you know, also um, shorten those suboccipital muscles. So I agree with you. The answer is probably not great for everybody, but you've got to try stuff out. It's much better to have something a little bit flatter than too big, right? Because then you're really going to, there's no way you can get it in a neutral position, but yeah, try it out. It is, we're spending so much time lying there. Um, even if you struggle sleeping, you know, you're, you're still in one position much more than uh, the rest of the day, except perhaps at your desk. So really value that and spend the money on getting something really good. Awesome. All right. I have one. I got one from Christine Para. She said, hi, Kristen. I have a question for Wednesday Q and A. What causes pain in the triangle area between the thumb, wrist, and second finger, her index finger, while weight-bearing, and what can we do about it? So she even gave a picture, which I'm going to show Laura, which you can't really see really well through the over... Yeah, I can, yeah, I can see. Yeah, anatomical snuff box is, is where she's mm-hmm. um, talking about pain, and that's kind of the triangle 
kind of in the webbing of between the thumb and the first finger, but she is extending her area of pain clear down to the wrist. And when we think about anatomical snuff box pain, our first inclination is to think about the scaphoid. The scaphoid is one of your wrist, um, your carpal bones. And while I don't think, unless you have a mechanism of injury, Christine, of fall on an outstretched hand, which is what would cause a scaphoid fracture, I would guess you're probably not having that per se, but you might be putting a little too much pressure through there. So we always say, all right, well, let's look at how much range of motion do you have in your wrist? We have to be mindful of the fact that yoga, inversions, handstands, even quadruped and plank, you need at least 90 degrees of wrist extension. And you'd be surprised how many people don't have that. So do you have appropriate range of motion of your wrist? And then look at how your wrist is angled towards the front side of the mat. Are you rolling to one? Are you rolling you know, in too much? And then come up towards your scapula. You know, what, you know, what's happening there? Is your base of support too wide? Is that why you're rolling all of your weight towards the, the, that anatomical snap, uh, snuff box or scaphoid? What do you think, Laura, with that? What have you seen? It's interesting. Just looking at that picture, my first instinct when I saw it is her, th- and I don't know if it's because it's, it's bothering her, so it's hard to know. seems like her thumb is too abducted. So abducted means like if you were to spread your hand and make your thumb really spread way out. To me, it's kind of, yeah, I feel like her second finger needs to be more in line yeah. with that, with her um, her radius. And, you know, it's kind of at an angle. So, you know, from that picture, it almost looks like she's kind of not wait. Yeah, she's kind of rolling or maybe she's doing like the finger grab. And, and we want to use our fingers, but we don't want to grab them so much that we lift a very important weight bearing that um, first metacarpal, we don't want to unweight that. So I'm kind of curious, especially since now we know this is like investigation since it's coming into the tissue. I'm wondering if she's like made that too wide and then kind of, you know, pulled, like dragged her thumb in for stability. Yeah. Just like everything, even though the, you know, the fingers are the very distal end, but the next thing proximal is those metacarpals. Those are the bones and then following that are the carpals, but the metacarpals are really kind of the roots of your fingers. And it's better to get some um, weight into that, similar to the tripod of the foot. You want to get it through the first, the second, and the fifth, and get this wonderful tripod that balances over the connection to the radiocarpal joint, which is your wrist. So I would I would do all the things you said. Check out your wrist extension range of motion because again, if it's if it's lacking, you might be that's going to ultimately put more pressure into your hand and down into your the, the metacarpals themselves. You also I would check your shoulder as always, right? If we kept going proximal, 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 what's going on at the scapula that that might like if you are in a more protracted position, say in plank, in any any kind of weight bearing you might be putting more stress on your wrist and it just might be playing out in the tissue in that particular area. But I agree with you. I think it's probably more of the weight distribution yeah. than just a pure like, oh, my wrists are sore. So it, since it's soft tissue, I think it's probably you're doing something. Are you, it's called ulnar radial deviation where it's like if you wave your hand, like are you slightly turned out? You have to look at all those things. So I would say, send us a picture, even if it is bothering you just for a moment, 
what is your most natural way of weight bearing? Because if it was like the way we just saw in this photograph, I think that alignment of your second finger and thumb is off. Yep. And that, again, might be just because of the injury or the, the um, pain, but it really is, uh, yeah, you're not getting good weight bearing in that first metacarpal or second metacarpal. It's like kind of pulled off and that's going to really, really strain. I mean, think about it this way. If you, I mean, there's, this is not the best analogy, but like if you had your foot down and you're always rolling into pronation, which per se is not a bad thing, but then your weight, you're going to strain the soft tissues more than the joint, you know? And that's what you're kind of doing here. If you have those uh, fingers not in the best alignment, you're, you're straining the soft tissue just like you would on the inner ankle or the inner arch of the foot if you're not weight bearing well and you, and you land like that and you weight bear like that. So look at all that and get back to us, Christine. Yeah. And in the short term, you can always put a little bit of um, like a little like those yoga jellies or a, a small rolled up towel right underneath that space if the wrist extension is what's bothering you, especially not now. Or do fist. I like, I think oh, fists are great. Yeah. You know, they really are because they, they solidify your wrist joint. Yep. You know, we, it's not that we are knuckle walkers like evolutionary um, ancestors, but it, for most people, it doesn't bother them to put their knuckles down. And in fact, it can feel really solid. And that might actually give you the recruitment and engagement in your shoulder that you might not be having to the degree that you need. So I think, yeah, jellies are, or I really like the, I the I knuckles down. I use that all the time. All right. All right. Okay. So this is from, um, her name's Amy. And she says, I've been practicing lit for almost eight months and have loved it and really seen improvements in my movement. Recently, I've been bothered by a feeling of tightness, possible strain behind my right knee. This knee has been achy off and on for years. It feels good to practice and loosens up a lot, but then a couple hours later, it feels tight again. My right leg hip is my stronger side and my tighter side. I also have some hallux limitus on my right foot. I've worn correct shoes and minimalist shoes for a few years now, and it has improved a lot, but is still sensitive. I blame years spent in dance goes and wood clogs. I've really increased walking in the past couple of months since moving back to work instead of teleworking. I used to be a massage therapist, but I'm a a librarian now. I love how she's giving us so much information. This is so amazing. (laughs) So she's like telling us about her day because all of these things as physical therapists, uh, this is really crucial to know. So I used to be a massage therapist, but I'm a librarian now and do a lot of squatting, reaching, walking, lifting, and stretching during most work days. In addition to lit, I hike as my main form of exercise. Sorry for going on so long, but I wanted to include what I could think of as related. Thanks for your thoughts you have and for lit. So amazing. So she's bothered by recently. Okay, so that's important because recently, now she did say I've recently increased walking. So I'm gonna for my that's when my little antennas go up. Same. Because it's usually when you add something What's or change something, right? That, yeah. So it's like, eh. So it's so great, Amy, that you gave us all this information. Because I'm going to think that the increased walking is going to have done something to maybe trigger this, even though this has been an area. And the fact that you have that limitus, rigidus, yeah. uh, first big toe and walking, it's like a dee big antenna, beep, beep. So my gut is this, tightness possible strain behind your right knee. Well, that could be either the insertion of your hamstring, uh, hamstrings, I, I combined them, <laughs> Put them together. hamstruck. <laughs> Only PTs will laugh. Hamstrings or of the gastrocnemius, which is your calf. So that totally makes sense. If your toe isn't giving you a good push off, you with walking, especially in sagittal plane, you are 
really pulling that knee is, you know, whether it's the hamstring or the calf, both could be overly working because you're not getting enough push off. And it doesn't even have to be like you're walking miles. You could be walking a quarter of a mile to work, but it's just that. So that would be my first instinct, even with your, you know, correct toes and minimalist shoes, that toe can still be naughty and not do, you know, because of its rigidity. So that would be my first gut is that it's, I think it's probably related to your walking since you said recently, recently. So what can you do about it? Kristen, why don't you Well, talk now? I would also just going to echo you on the walking. That was my first, same thing. We both like red flag, and the fact that it's walking. I find, I mean, walking requires more ankle dorsiflexion, more great toe extension than you even need running. So because your stride lengthens. So that was absolutely where my brain went to. And when we're talking about the Halix Limitus, I mean, it's, she's so knowledgeable. She, you know, she's active and lit. She was a massage therapist. I'm confident she's been changing her shoe wear. I'm confident that she's probably been doing some sort of great toe mobilization. If not, that would be the first place I would start. Let's work on that great toe mobility, whether you're doing soft tissue work. Um, Laura, you've got some great videos on your uh, Instagram, probably in your, you know, saved in your, uh, not just your story, but the what other, feed profile. Uh, yes. Yeah. Thank you. And, um, you know, so work on getting that great toe working. And then if that is just not going to go anywhere, which you might be to that point, you might want to change your gait pattern, whether it's, you know, shortening your stride, using your glute more, you know, getting that glute to help extend the hip. Cause if the glutes not working, then the calf's going to overwork the gastroc, which might be causing that. And then also I would be interested to see what is happening at the knee joint. You know, is she coming into some hyperextension again, because she can't dorsiflex maybe through the ankle, certainly can't extend through the toe, you know, what little changes can you make to facilitate what's happening at the knee? I said it before, I'll say it again. The knee's the dumb joint. All it wants to do is bend and straighten a certain amount of degrees. And when we start feeling things there, it's usually coming from above or below. That being said, we got to look at your hip too. You know, Mm -hmm. what my first thought with you, totally toe. But is that in combination? She says her right leg is her stronger one. Is she using that one? Maybe overusing. We all do that, especially with hiking. I am classic hiker. My right leg is stronger. I go uphill with my right leg. I climb all of the boulders with my right leg. And then I wonder why my right knee hurts. It's like, I have to actually tell myself, Kristen, step up with your left leg. Because otherwise I'm a creature of habit. So that's the other thing, because she's a hiker, I'm curious, is she, you know, maybe not balancing out the demand. Um, So little tweaks there changing, you know, which leg you're doing and then changing your stride, looking up proximally. What do you think with that? I think that's, that's great. And, and on the hiking thing, I can't recommend enough using poles. Oh yeah. Because if you have any limitations in range of motion, super helpful. If you have any limitations in balance strength, super helpful because you're just getting two other points of contact and it really does unload some of the burden, especially going uphill and downhill. And you know, it makes sense to both of us that, you know, that lit would feel great because we're moving in so many planes and not just, so the other things you're doing is very sagittal. So with that, 
you know, if you have any limitation in hip extension, you said it's stronger, but it's tighter, limitation in ankle joint flexion, limitation in the toe, that is going to be a burden on the knee. And it makes, yeah, it totally makes sense. So I think that keep doing lit, walk, but like Kristen said, change your gait up a little bit, maybe take shorter steps, right? So you're not having to, and focus on the push off from the glute. And do the, I, I was, as, as I'm talking, I'm, I always do this. I do big toe mobilization. So I just, and as a massage therapist, you probably know that I just grab at the med head and then I just start moving it because even with my great shoes and even with my toe spacers, I still have lost range of motion in that big toe. And I have to do this. And when I do it regularly, along with all the other things, it feels like I have as much range of motion there. But yeah, you have to mobilize that toe. We have to do our maintenance, you know, just like a car. You take your car in for oil changes. You got to keep maintaining your body. (laughs) Yep. And the older the car is, (laughs) (laughs) the more frequent check-ins. Maybe they don't have to be really, you know, huge. But (laughs) all right, let's, we have time for one more. One more question here. So SVS, I don't, SVP Shreya ask flat feet anatomy and preventing pain in later years. So this is topping off of the big toe stuff. And I will just start off and say flat feet. Eh, I don't even know if that is real. I mean, you know, I don't believe there's flat. I, I believe maybe there are some very small percentage of people that have hereditary, like flat feet, no arches. I mean, it's just not part of our makeup. Like we are, uh, that the foot is, as uh, Michelangelo said, it is like the, it is, you know, I forgot exactly his quote, but it's basically like, this is God's construction. Like it is religious in how amazing structurally the foot is. So when people say they have flat feet, here's my first thought. And this isn't to rip on anybody. It's it's a story. Like you've said, somebody told you that probably. You're, I mean, I've, I've heard doctors say that. Oh, you have a, you know, your spine is twisted here. And then somebody tells me they have scoliosis. I'm like, you don't have scoliosis. You don't have scoliosis. You have like some fascias. You have an acquired imbalance, but you don't have scoliosis. So there are labels that sometimes don't work for us. And then we get very, you know, we kind of think I have flat feet. I have flat feet. I can't do anything. So I'm going to say, I don't believe in flat feet for a majority of the people. I think that what you might have is that you're, you were put in shoes very early in life and you might've not gotten those arches strong. And that's, a lot of people, you know, they, we think it's so cute to put little eight-month-old people, kids in, in shoes, and it's kind of the worst thing we can do. So that's my first thought, is that I would really, 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 really not be attached to the idea of having flat feet. The foot is known as the adaptable foot. So first of all, put that in your mind. It is adaptable no matter what is going on, uh, whether you think it's flat, whether you think you have fallen arches, or you, anything you have, it, it's adaptable, meaning it it probably, in, more than any other structure in the body, has the potential for a lot of change. But we have to do the work. Like, we have to do feet exercises. We have to be barefoot. We have to work on ankle dorsiflexion, ankle plantar flexion, strong movement at the big toe, strong posterior chain, you know, so that you're getting the the calf, the hamstrings and glutes all working together. That would be my suggestion is, are you doing all that? And and then you're going to be fine. <laughs> no, and I, I love that you said that because I cannot, if I had a dollar for every time someone said to me, I have flat feet. And then I look at their feet and I'm like, no, you don't. You've got normal arches. It is. And the number of running shoes for over pronation, our foot pronates, like it's supposed to pronate. It's part of the, part of the shock absorption is pronation. <laughs> and it's just like, good <laughs> 
God, you know, and it's, and it's no one's fault. It's really just like you said, it's marketing. You've been told that, but there are, like you said, it's a small percentage, but yes, I mean, I, and I have seen a truly flat foot and I kind of think, Ooh, dang, like that, you know, that is tough. However, yes, you can do some work. So one of my favorite exercises is just to stand barefoot and try to, you actually actively create an arch. So imagine that you're, if you had your hand flat and you make a little cupping, that's what you do with your feet. And you don't roll to the outer edge per se, but, you know, pull the big toes as if you were, and you can do this too. This is another great exercise. Put your foot on a hardwood floor, put a towel underneath it and try to drag the towel. So you're using your foot to create, quote unquote, an arch. Like you said, Laura, it's so adaptable and people lose strength and mobility in their feet, especially as they age. That is a huge thing with the senior population. Uh, I see it in my parents. I, I see it in a lot of my older patients where it really affects our balance. It affects our gait pattern. We become more shuffling in our gait pattern. So start now, you know, start walking barefoot, using minimal support. And then, yeah, you know, doing balance work, get on unstable surfaces where you have to grab the ground, walking in sand, like all that stuff that's hard to do. It's hard because we are weak in our feet as a general rule. Most people are. So yeah, don't buy into the labels. Be aware. Like me, I always say, oh, I have a mild scoliosis. I mean, I have a mild curve, but I'm always stretching into that. You know, it's, and, and, I, and I don't, don't let it bother me one bit. Uh, I was told that when I was 11 or 12, it's never affected me in any way, shape or form. Um, my son has one too, and I can see it on x-ray and I've called it out since he was little. I was telling the, you know, docs forever. He's got scoliosis, got scoliosis. No, he doesn't. No, he doesn't. Well now, you know, they finally, yes, he does. It doesn't affect him. He's a, he's a great athlete. So same thing with your feet, use them, work them, let go of anything you might have associated with that. And see what happens. You might surprise yourself when people start, you can pick up marbles with your toes. There's all sorts of fun activities that I give people and they are amazed at the change it has not only at the foot, but all the way up the chain. And yes, the posterior chain is usually weak. So get that stronger. Yeah. I was just going to say the whole either marble or even like taking like a little sock and pull it, you know, like you're you know, make fun like or a Ziploc bat, like grab it and be able to lift it up off the ground because you're really getting all that, the great recruitment for the arches. And it can take time, but it's so worth it to really work on on your feet. It is, um, like you said, it, more people are weak in their feet and really, you know, that is, if you want to talk about flat, it's just flat energy. Yeah. But what you're doing also is you're stimulating your brain because the more you are working a particular area, you are creating a higher engagement and density of the receptors there as well. So that then you're just going to have much more of like that adaptability, that responsiveness. So, and it doesn't have to be, you know, a burden, but 10 minutes every day, twice a day, whatever, but fit yeah. it in and, and go barefoot as much as possible. I was just thinking of that little homunculus, you know, the drawing. I mean, how much of the foot, the homunculus, it's like, you know, we, yeah. it's supposed to really be, serving us in our brain and think of how much of that is underused because of shoes. So, yeah, I love it. I think my brother said it first. He said, you know, when you put shoes on, it's like putting earmuffs on, you know, your hearing is like, that's the kind, like, imagine that that's like, you've just deadened a lot of your senses. Yeah. And so it's, you just want to 
take them off and 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 get them free and and increase that you know that brain connection because it really makes a difference. All right, as usual, this was so fun. Yay! Until next time, thank you, my darling. You're welcome. And as always, we are pulling for you. Hello, this is Danny Pellegrino, host of the Everything Iconic podcast, and I'm here to tell you all about Splash Refresher, because hydration is mandatory, but boring is not. Now, I love my water, but if I don't spice it up, I'm not going to finish what I took out of the fridge. That's why I love my Splash Refresher, which is flavorful, delicious, bright, hydrating, and zero calories. The wild berry flavor is my fave. No, wait, is the pineapple mango flavor my fave? You know what? All five craveable Splash Refresher flavors are my fave because they're so delicious. So get hydrated and enjoy it with Splash Refresher.